everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Water Women podcast. My name is Jill, and I'm the host and creator of this podcast. I hope wherever you're listening from, you're somewhere safe and happy and in self-isolation. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Mads St. Clair Baker. I was introduced to Mads through a Facebook group called Women in Ocean Science that I joined, and it turned out that Mads was the creator. Mads is so cool, and she's managed to create this amazing world of women who are all in ocean sciences that are there to support and share and uplift one another. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear all about how Mads got started in that and how you can join. Hi, Mads. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah, it's it's really, really nice to be back on a podcast and uh, to virtually meet you from quarantine. I'm really excited about today. Good. Me as well. Can you start out and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so my name is Mads, uh, Madeline, if you're my parents. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I am a tropical marine biologist. And um, the recent title I've given to myself is Ocean Content Creator um, and Science Communicator. Um, I'm also the founder of a couple of um, nonprofit organizations, um, the Marine Diaries and Women in Ocean Science. Um, and I also set up um, my own clothing ocean apparel line um, to promote um, sharks and conservation. So kind of really a bit of a mixed bag. I'm part scientist, part communicator, um, 100% ocean advocate. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. I love it. How did you get started in all this? What made you want to be specifically a tropical marine biologist? <laughs> um, so for me, actually, it wasn't, I think, the journey that a lot of people have when they go into marine biology. A lot of people are like, I want to do this from a really, really young age. And I always did. I always loved the ocean um, from right from the very start. Um, I was obsessed with seals. My mom took me to a seal sanctuary and um, I was... I fell in love straight away. But um, for me, I actually wanted to be a corporate lawyer. Um, as a child, I was very weird. I like when people ask me what you want to do, you have like this little eight year old being like, I want to be a corporate lawyer and work in derivatives. It was all a bit funny. And then <laughs> um, I, I grew up a bit, um, things changed. And then suddenly I thought, no, you know what, I'm just going to follow this thing that had always been like a dream, but never I thought an actual reality reality um, that I could just suddenly go and be a marine biologist. So I ended up going to university, um, studying biological sciences. Um, so I studied that during my undergrad um, and kind of got drip fed marine biology content as I went along and then specialized in marine in my final year. But really the, the moment that I realized that I wanted to be a tropical marine biologist specifically is um, when I learned to dive, I went out to Cuba to learn to dive and volunteer on a marine conservation project when I was um, during university, when I was in my first year, I think. And the first time I saw a coral reef, I mean, I'd seen them on, on the TV before and on these amazing natural history programs, but it's when I actually took that first breath underwater and saw a coral reef that I just, I just knew. And that was it. It was, then it was history. (laughs) I feel like diving changes. It's truly a life changing experience. The first breath you take underwater. Like I remember 
when I was doing my certification, it said in the book, it's like, many people remember the first breath underwater forever. And I was like, yeah, okay, I bet. And then I remember getting into the water for the first time and I was like, nope, yeah, that makes sense. Because <laughs> it's just such an unreal experience. Yeah. You know, actually, I remember vividly my first ever breath through a scuba regulator. And um, we didn't, for our confined water, there was no pool there because we were quite remote where I was. And um, we ended up doing it in like the, the shallow tidal zone of the sea. And so if you can imagine all these newbie scuba divers, the gentle waves are like rolling in. And we were like turtles, like we kept getting flipped onto our backs and not being able to flip around because we've got flippers on, we're kicking up sand. And I remember I had this regulator and I put like my face in the water and it was kind of like snorkeling, but then you breathe in and you just got all this new air. It was just crazy. And yeah. I mean, it's such an unreal experience. And I really do think it changes the perception of the ocean for a lot of people because being able to see what's underneath kind of takes the fear of the unknown away. Like you can see what's going on. So it's nice. For sure. And I think that is so important in terms of science communication as well, because a lot of people um, have this huge fear of the ocean. And I definitely was terrified of many aspects of the ocean before I could scuba dive even though I was like so certain that I wanted to work with it at this point, I was still like super afraid of, you know, what you can't see down there. <laughs> oh yeah. It's this huge, huge thing. And you're like, we know so little about this, but you're so interested, but also so scared. It's such a weird relationship to have with the water. I always describe it as like, I'm not like scared of it, but I respect it respect. quite a bit. Same. I always say my, my phrase when people ask me about sharks and if I'm scared of them, and I say, no, but I have a healthy respect for them. And I always say, you know, you wouldn't hug a wolf. Like, you just wouldn't do exactly. that. Like, exactly. you would hug a dog, but you wouldn't hug a wolf. It's a wild animal. Oh, so absolutely. Respect. I love that. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> so what would you say your everyday job is? Like, what are you doing every day for these kind of things? Um, wow. So the last few, the last few years, every, every day has been, has been different depending on where I've been working um, and what I've been doing. Um, I had a few stints out in the field. So those days involved a lot of diving, a lot of field research. Um, I had days when I was studying. Um, so that involved a lot of computer time. Um, and then in the last year as well, it's been a bit of a mixed bag again. Um, there's never been any kind of generic day. I did a lot of, um, a lot of like exploration traveling last year, um, with one of my businesses trying to find remote populations of megafauna out in Indonesia. So that was a really fun year because every day literally looked different from sleeping on the floor of a random home or hut in remote Indonesia to then, you know, being somewhere completely different the next day. Um, but currently I am back in London which is the first time I've been kind of settled um, in the last few years. And it's been a really interesting change. Um, and at the moment, I'm working for a um, UK-based company um, that works in microplastic research. And I'm actually working in the digital content side. Um, so in the science communication side and how we can convey the work that um, my, it's not my company, the company I work for is doing, um, with the general public on social media and through digital channels. So it's been really, really interesting for me to utilize my skills as a scientist in, in a different way. That was super cool. It's so nice to be able to kind of help 
present the data or like present what's going on in such an easy way for people to understand and it makes you feel really good and know that what you're doing is important and how it's helping people and I mean it's the same for for what you're doing as well I think it's so important to have podcasts like this where um, people like you can bring um, women in science and women who are working for the ocean and share that with um, the general public in a way that people really like to understand podcasts are really really I was going to say trendy at the moment, but who says trendy apart from our parents? <laughs> They're useful. They're a great way to get information across and introduce people to what something they might not know about yet. Yeah, like, exactly. And you can just, you know, do the cooking and put a podcast on and it's just so easy. And, and me as a person who works in digital content, I really, really rate podcasts as a, like a tool in, in science communication because they're fun, They're easy, so and important. Yeah, so important. Yeah, it just it's nice to be able to like break things up in a digestible way because kind of like a lot of this stuff can be kind of like dense, intimidating. Yeah, dense, very like even just like st stuff that is considered simple when you're in the science field. Like you said earlier, like working with megafauna, and it's like oh yeah, and then like someone might be like, what what the heck is What's megafauna? A, yeah, for sure. And I trip myself up with this all the time. It's been really interesting moving back to London um, because suddenly I'm immersed in a community that is not as scientific as I am. And th this, I'm talking about my friends and my family and, and not mm. this, like for the last few years, I've been stuck amongst ocean people, as I call us. Um, and <laughs> it's been a massive learning curve coming back to London and thinking, gosh, all these things which now I think are so such general knowledge and finding out that they're not and having to adapt the way that I speak about things again. It it's been a really important learning curve, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's nice to be able to break things up and uh, kind of present it in a way that's useful and spreads kind of the message that we're doing which is why I think what you created with the Women in Ocean Science group is so important because it's bringing so many different women together from so many different backgrounds that like, it's amazing. Yeah, I Women in Ocean Science is probably the, the most important thing that I think I've ever done on a personal level. Um, and it's it's been so incredible and so inspiring to to watch this community grow um, and to have brought so many people together. Like whenever I am lacking in motivation or inspiration, it's the women within this community that are just a constant source of everyday inspiration and, and motivation for me personally. It's really an amazing and very uplifting group. Yeah, so it's it's quite funny because the how it actually started is I was out in the field, I think it was back in 2018. And um, at the time I was doing my master's research and there were a number of other scientists there. And I remember saying to them, um, just having a, we'd have conversations at dinner and stuff. And I remember saying, gosh, you know, you work in this field, um, maybe looking at coral biology, you really should meet this, this girl I met out in the field a couple of years ago that, that worked in a similar thing. And she was doing this really like novel project in, in this, in this area, this same specific area. And these little conversations kept coming up and these, 
there were people that I kept thinking, gosh, it would be so good if I could just connect you. So then what the culmination of this kind of ended up being is that I made this Facebook group um, and I essentially added every woman I'd ever met in marine science from my Facebook friends list into it and kind of said, hey guys, I've just created this space where we can all share our research and our stories and, and create the space for like collaboration and innovation amongst women in marine science. Because the other thing that I really noticed in the field at this time is yes, there were more women around than I'm sure there were previously. And um, a lot of people will often say that that marine biology is a um, a female dominated industry now. But if you look up to the to maybe the more senior figures amongst marine biology, there are a lot a lot less women there. And that was something oh, that absolutely. for me at university, I had really, really been aware of is that a lot of my lecturers were male. Um, and there were some really, really awesome female lecturers in there as well. Um, but it, it was de- there was definitely a gender gap there. There was some disparity. And then taking that one step further, being out in the field in Indonesia, um, there is also perhaps a bigger gender imbalance in Indonesia than we are used to seeing in um, maybe the UK or the USA. And um, this is in the research base that we were at at the time, um, that it was the boys that would help out on the boats and, and assist the scientists in, in that regard. And it was the women who would kind of attend to the cooking and the cleaning on site of, of the camp. Um, and it kind of really drove home that the same opportunities that were available to the men um, at this time would not have been available to the women. And during one of the surface intervals where I was conducting um, some research on one of the dive boats, everyone else was diving and I was doing some snorkeling work. Um, and I, I had a chance to chat to some of the the boat boys, um, the guys who were running the boat uh, during, during this period of time. And I was um, talking to them in my very broken Indonesian and their pretty broken English about... Um, you know, their career aspirations. And one of the boys said he wanted to be a dive master and maybe a marine biologist. And he, me- I mean, he must have been quite young, maybe 17 or so. And then um, just out of interest, because this is something that had been playing on my mind at the time, I said, well, what about your your sister? Would you want her to do the same? And they just laughed, like absolutely oh. laughed. And I think it's very easy for us to forget in certain parts of the world that, you know, uh, science to us in some places there are a lot of scientists who will say no science there's no gender imbalance here uh, I mean when you look at a class of marine biologists now as I said like often you see a lot more women than men um, yeah. but in some areas of the world it's not even that there's gender disparity it's that there there is just not even something that's considered that a woman would go into a stem field it's just not even an option um, yeah. And so that really is how Women in Ocean Science is bo- was born, um, to create a space for collaboration, for networking, for empowerment, um, for not only women in marine science, but for women from all um, races, from all different backgrounds. Um, we wanted to create a space. I say we, I came up with it, but then um, as more girls joined the team, we wanted to create the space where people could be brought together um, and then, of course, we could share this um, with with the general public as a, also a science communication project, too. 
it really is such an amazing thing that you've created with it. Like to be able to just go onto Facebook and have access to thousands of women in so many different sections of science. Like there's, when I think of marine biology in my head, because it's what I want to study, I automatically think of like megafauna and like cetaceans and whatnot. But to have that group and introduce me to so many different women who are in like sea plastic studies and like just like coral reefs and all these different aspects. It's so, it's very grounding really to remember like this ocean is so big and this takes so many different people. And then to be able to connect with these people and ask them questions and communicate about scientific things. It's so nice to have. It's really amazing. Yeah, it was exactly the same thing for me. So women in ocean science, if you divide it up into a few sections, we have the Facebook community, um, which um, are a number of Facebook groups where we have the community of women all together. Um, then, of, of course, we have our other social media where we feature profiles of women. So um, women have this opportunity to learn more about each other. And then we also have this final component at the moment, which is our science communication project. And that's our blog. And so um, for me, it was the same thing when we set up the blog side and on the blog, we run these interviews and these features with um, women that work in all these different fields. It was so amazing to meet women who worked in areas of marine biology that I had maybe kind of heard of, but really had little knowledge about, like... um, I remember one of the first people who got back to me about doing an interview was a marine molecular biologist. And I mean, her work was really, really incredible. And I honestly didn't know really anything about it until I interviewed her. Yeah, that's it's so it's so cool how much you can learn just from another person. And it's so cool to be able to have these connections like one of my first podcasts actually with Liv, the coral, coral baby mama. I didn't know Liv at all. And I actually found her by scrolling through your Instagram and just like seeing a picture of her. And I was like, man, this girl looks so cool. And I just messaged her hoping that she might respond. And she did. And like the rest is written. Like it's, we recorded a podcast. She's so cool. Like now we're connected forever just because of your group. Like it's amazing. And Honestly, I think social media, this is actually um, when I created the Marine Diaries way, way back when. Um, I don't run it anymore. A really awesome girl called Marine, uh, called Rebecca does now. She's incredible. Um, the whole reason that was, that was formed was about how we could use connections through social media to, um, you know, not only convey scientific information, but to meet people and to network. And it really is amazing at how we have all started using social media because there are so many bad things about social media and the way that it's used and the peer pressure and how it affects people. But it really is nice every so often to have these really uplifting connections that you make with people um, via social media. And I'm the same as an adult. Um, And in, in the last few years, I've met people on social media um, like marine, other marine biologists and then I've actually gone out and met them in the field or we've run into each other or we've recognized each other and now they've become some of my really great friends for life. Oh absolutely it really can connect you in so many different ways and it's so nice to have. It must have been 
absolutely so cool to watch this grow just like in front of your eyes from like your little baby project to the (laughs) huge powerhouse that it is now I mean it yeah it really was it so it started as this tiny little group that I'd added all my um, marine biology friends to and then suddenly people friends were adding friends and everyone started adding each other and yeah it just kind of started spinning into this massive snowball of amazing women in science and um as I said it's just a constant source of inspiration for me to to see so many people enjoying the group and being able to ask their questions that and and we've also recently set up this mentorship scheme within the group as well and so it's really really nice to seeing other people form these connections as well yeah it's It really is an amazing thing. And I highly recommend that if anyone's listening to this and you are a woman in ocean sciences (laughs) or even considering it, join the group. It's really, people are there to answer any questions, any like concerns you might have. And even just following along in the group, you can learn so much from other people. Like people will post sometimes like their research. They're like, oh, look what I did today. And I'm like, that is so cool. Like you're so cool. Some people do the most incredible things. And it, yeah, it's really nice to to see that being shared as well. Absolutely. And it really does teach you about different aspects. Like I would not have known anything about corals. Like they're just not my area of expertise or interest. And then I got to meet Liv and now I know more about corals than I ever thought I would. Not as much as her, but more than I ever thought I would. It's a great podcast, guys. You should go and listen to it. I mean, I know quite a lot about coral, but I still learned a lot. And it was really nice to to hear it from another perspective as well. Yes, she's so cool. <laughs> so you also created your swimwear apparel. Like, how did you go about doing that and why and where and how and when? Um, so this is quite basic of me. I really wanted a pair of whale shark leggings. Um, and I heard of a few companies that did them. Um, and then... I was looking for a business idea at the time. Uh, I wanted to, I had this idea in my head. I'm I'm a person that I think comes up, up with a lot of ideas. And as my team will tell you, um, probably too many ideas. You kind of got to pick one and run with it rather than be like an idea machine that's like, I want to do yeah. everything. Um, and uh, anyway, I really wanted a pair of whale shark leggings. I was looking for a business idea and I just came up with this idea. I was like, I want to create a company that like creates content for the ocean is like photography and videography and then like it's supported by an active wear line um so then I just decided to run with it and after a lot of hard work a lot of massive mistakes because anyone who sets up a business who has no idea about business um will tell you running business is a lot harder than it looks and massive pitfalls but you learn it was a massive learning curve would I do it again actually probably I would but um differently definitely probably would have planned it better yes and yeah so that's where I am today with that so um I had some artists design the print uh my sister is actually a graphic designer as well and she um drew some of the t-shirt designs as well Um, and yeah, that's kind of how that was born. I have plans for the future as well. I really, really, really want to make a documentary series. Uh, obviously all of that is put on pause because of COVID. Um, (laughs) so we'll see what happens, but that's the idea is that eventually I'll make maybe my own mini documentary series supported by the active wear line. 
That's so exciting. That's really amazing. It's a really cool clothing line and it's beautiful. I've been looking at it for so long and I just like need to wait till I have a solid paycheck and then I will be purchasing something from it because it's absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely been a learning curve and it's it's been exciting. I don't think I ever have plans to grow it to be anything very big, but passion project good, is, a, is a good idea for it. Like it's a yes, it's a great it's a that's a great it's, word. It's something you love and it's something you wanted to pursue. So there you go. So you did your master's. What was that focused on? Um, so I did my master's in tropical marine biology, um, which is where I really kind of became a coral reef biologist um, and honed in my focus on the tropical ecosystems. And I'd always had a fascination with bioacoustics. Um, so bioacoustics is kind of the soundscape that makes up the, the natural environment um, and the biological sounds that are produced by um, living creatures. So I fell into bioacoustics because my undergraduate lecturer um, was called Steve. He's still called Steve Simpson. He's not dead. Oh, God. Um, he actually he appeared on Blue Planet. He's worked with David Attenborough. He's like a coral reef bioacoustics guy and was doing some really, really, really awesome work on how boat noise is affecting fish and coral reefs um, in general. And so I really fell in love with this area of science. I was absolutely um, obsessed during my undergrad. And I knew straight away that when I did a master's project, I wanted it to be on coral reefs and on um, how boat noise and other um, human-made noise stresses are affecting coral reefs. So then I ended up heading out to Indonesia um, during my master's to, to, to conduct my research, and um, I ended up studying the impacts of boat noise on um, cohabiting coral reef clownfish. Now, basically, what cohabiting means is um, that two different species of fish are living together in the same anemone. So if you think of Nemo, Nemo is a clownfish. Um, there are lots of different species of Nemo, and sometimes they end up sharing the same anemone, um, which is kind of a oh how do I explain this in non-science terms it's a kind of like a jellyfish that's stuck to the floor essentially yeah, that makes the, sense yeah similar kind of organism squishy they're kind stingy. of like cousins to a jellyfish like a cousin to a jellyfish yeah except it's kind of stuck to the coral reef um it's actually very very closely related to a coral um so they're also um threatened by things like rising temperatures they can bleach in the same way that corals do as well and die and actually that's one of the reasons why we see um, increased cohabitation so uh, more species living together in the same anemone one of the reasons why we think this is happening is because coral bleaching events have also killed off anemones as well meaning that there's less habitat less places to live um, for these coral reef fish so we're seeing an increased number of them sharing these anemones Anyway, just a quick overview of um, what I ended up finding. So I was conducting these boat noise trials. Um, so these experiments where I was driving boats around and around in the water to create this, um, this new soundscape, this new environment where um, they have constant noise stress coming at them, which they wouldn't usually have. And I had these video cameras set up in front of all my different anemones watching what the fish were doing. Um, and so I do these trials and then I come back and I'd review the footage 
um, of the anemones and of the clownfish that were inside. And I'd basically spend hours and hours and hours watching this footage. Um, and as fun as it sounds, watching clownfish <laughs> got really boring really fast. Um, they don't do much. They feed, they swim, they fight each other. Um, and that's about it. Um, and so then my research ended up looking at how um, the noise was affecting the behavior, not only between the same species that were within an anemone, but how it affected the behavior and the relationship between um, these other species that were also sharing the same anemone. And what I found is that there was actually an increased level of aggression um, across all interactions. So when there was boat noise, um, we were see I was seeing more instances of physical aggression. So when one fish um, kind of strikes or lunges towards the other one um, during noise. Um, and the reason that I attributed this to is the fact that um, clownfish are very, very vocal fish. They make these little grunts and chirps and pops and if you ever go scuba diving and you get too close to an, anem an anemone uh, you may hear these noises from the clownfish so what i um theoretically what could be happening in this situation is that the boat noise is masking these cues between animals um so fish in the water if they're communicating to each other and clownfish specifically they they emit these warning chirps and pops kind of to tell other fish to get out of their space and out of their zone and it's it's a precursor it's a warning emission of sound but what happens if you've got a boat making this noise which completely covers and obscures all of these natural um, vocalizations that they're making, well, the other fish isn't going to know to stay out of this territory or out of this zone and therefore um, could be why we are seeing this increased level of aggression between the fish. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my master's research in a nutshell. Uh, it was a really, really interesting project and I really hope to pursue bioacoustics further in the future. That was, that is so cool. That is <laughs> such a cool thing to study and like not something that it's super common. That is so, that is such a great idea to study. Wow. I'm impressed. Yeah. The, 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 the bioacoustics as a field, um, I would have said it's emerging, but now it's, it's pretty well studied. Um, well pretty in recent years, now, yeah. but, um, it, it's, it's more of a more recent, uh, field of study. Um, and it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Once you start realizing, um, the degree to which, uh, coral reef animals use noise and not just coral reefs, I mean, on a large scale, on a larger scale, you have things like oceans, uh, the oceans, uh, whales, which have these ocean songs that you can literally hear from one side of the Atlantic basin to the other. It, it's really incredible. Um, so cool. and then when you add in the layer of what, um, we're doing to the ocean of how much boat traffic there is of the shipping, drilling, piling, um, all of these anthropogenic these man-made stresses that that are creating noise we really really don't know the extent to which it is affecting marine life it's super funny you say that because i actually uh just finished writing a paper on this not my thesis or anything just a paper for a class and i was talking about like so i study whales a lot and i was talking about like what role does sound play in a whale's migration and obviously I touched on like the biotic sounds of like the humpback songs specifically because I'm focused on humpbacks uh but then I also talked about a lot of like the anthropogenic noises and basically yeah. it's like 
all the studies have found so far is like, yeah, it's affecting it, but we don't know the extent of it since it's so recent. And it's like, well, what what do we do now? Like, what do we do? <laughs> and yeah, because it's really, really important that we investigate fully how it is affecting these species in the ocean, because there is nothing worse than the unknown, really. Um, and it, it's so important because when you look at the extent, I mean, shipping is increasing every single day as the world industrializes further and further. Um, noise is an increasing pollutant. And it's also a novel pollutant in the ocean because it's only been happening um, since, you know, the Industrial Revolution when we started putting, um, what's the word, engined boats into the ocean. Um, yeah. And I think of particular importance is the fact that noise as a stressor, a lot of studies so far have found that the worst impacts from noise happen when it's happening. So noise is one of those weird anthropogenic stressors that can be turned off. You know, we can stop the noise mm. and we can see an immediate reduction in the, in the negative effects in a lot of cases. So in some places, for example, I think there's areas on the Great Barrier Reef now that have created quiet zones and zones where you're only allowed to drive boats at certain times of the day. So to negate the amount of, of, of negative impacts that are coming from noise. And I think something that would be interesting to look into as well is when you overlay a map of shipping in the world with the migration tracks of whales, you'll see that they cross over and over and over and over. So it would be interesting to see if we could create more quiet corridors and quiet spaces um, in the ocean. I mean, whether that's possible, who knows, but we definitely need to put the research out there so that we could put some kind of management or legislation in place. Yeah, definitely. The MPAs are so important and it's so important to continue this research on how this, these uh, stressors are affecting the animals so that we can better prevent or help them, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Now you do a lot of like diving and like free diving because one of your favorite pictures was your profile picture of you diving or like swimming with the mantas. And that is just the coolest picture ever. That's probably the one I'll post on Instagram because it is so cool. Was that like the coolest experience ever or what? Yeah. So I actually headed out to the Maldives last year um, to intern with them uh, with Manta Trust for three months. Um, and it's always been my dream to be a Manta scientist. I've um, I've dived with them for a long time. I've kind of always wanted to be involved with their research and then I ended up going out to work with Manta Trust and that was the not only the coolest but like the most inspiring and dreamlike state my life has ever been in um and it was basically three months of free diving uh so free dive yeah every single day I now I'm a really terrible free diver I love it <laughs> so much more than anything else I can hold my breath for a really really long time but I have really I have really really bad ears um and so equalization is something that I struggled with as a scuba diver and as a dive master but as a free diver even more so um but this was great cleaning stations mainly sit in about um 10 in this area in about 10 meters of water so it was pretty good really really nice um just an amazing experience and obviously the Maldives is home to Hanafaru Bay which is a, a biosphere reserve a UNESCO biosphere yeah. reserve and um, this is the largest known aggregation site of manta rays in the world where they all come in to do this mass feeding um, and I was really really privileged to get to experience this nearly every day for three months 
um, out there last year. And yeah, it was it was the coolest. And oh, wow. Yeah. And I if I ever do a PhD, I want to do Manta's oh. and bioacoustics. So combine my two like loves in life in science <laughs> life. Um, that would be so cool. No, it was actually probably the coolest photo I've ever seen. Like I remember like adding you on Facebook and I was like, <laughs> I want to be her. Like, that is <laughs> so cool. It really yes. puts in perspective how uh, big they are though. Cause like you think you're like, oh yeah, they're big, but like seeing you beside them. Yeah. And do you know like... what the funny thing is? That's actually the smaller species of manta ray. Um, oh, so there Lord. are two species of manta ray uh, known at the moment and manta rays are part of the, the mobula um mobular family and they are the largest species of mobular ray they're, they're known as devil rays as well because they have these uh cephalic fins which are two fins that stick out of the front of their face which when they're rolled up look like devil horns um so there are two species of manta ray you have uh the oceanic manta ray and the reef manta and the ones that i'm swimming with in that photo they're actually reef manta rays um so at the moment we think they get up to about 3.7 meters wide um so that's wingspan uh wingtip to wingtip uh whereas the oceanics can grow up to um around seven meters in in wingspan so they can get really really massive holy that is so cool i mean megafauna is just Man. the coolest the coolest like not that we're biased or anything but definitely study megafauna yeah i mean i'm not i'm not biased but do it but do it yeah it's <laughs> it is the best so cool. it is just i like my first time diving when i was in australia one of the first times i was diving with turtles and we could like hear this like i was just free diving we could hear this noise and I signaled uh, one of the ladies I was diving with to go to the surface. And I like looked at her. I was like, is that what I think it is? And she's like, what do you think it is? She was like smiling. And I was like, is that whales? And she was like, yeah. And I was oh. like about to cry. Like we could just hear them. She's like, they're like two kilometers that way. I was like, do you think I could make it? Like I can make it. I can swim two kilometers. Like, <laughs> Let so me was, go. I'm going to do it. <laughs> she's like, stay here. And I was like, we'll see. Like I might just try. Like it was so cool though. Just to know that you're like in the water with these animals. Yeah. Like. And sometimes oh. that's even, that's what makes it special. There have been so many dives. So actually I say I love megafauna, but coral as well. I have the <laughs> softest spot in my heart for coral. And often you'll find me when I'm scuba diving with like my face millimeters from the coral staring at it, trying to identify it. <laughs> and I'll have missed this whale shark that's like swimming by. But even that is special because like you'll come up from a dive and everyone will be like, oh my God, we saw a whale shark. And even if like me, you were looking at the coral and you didn't see it, you still like know that you shared the water with it. So you still tell yeah. people that you saw it because. You're like, oh, I was there. <laughs> I was there. It was there. It was in my water space with me. You know, we shared the same. <laughs> it came to see me. I just wasn't paying attention. It's funny, actually. I was out in Komodo um, on a liverboard with Adlar um, talking about mantas, actually. And um I had been looking on this dive at this piece of coral on the floor. It was really fascinating. So it was a piece of dead coral rubble and it had been colonized by loads of soft coral. And I was like, wow, this is really amazing. Really, really amazing. And then suddenly I hear people smashing on their tanks. And literally as I pop my head up, this baby manta just like rockets right over me, right through my bubbles. And I was like, I oh literally would have missed that. It was about two inches from my head and if I hadn't looked up just would never have known it had happened that is so cool it's funny how immersed you can get in whatever you're doing in the water because it's just like such a tranquil space yeah that, like, it's my whatever zone. you're looking at oh absolutely 
whatever you're looking at like in the moment is the only thing that exists yeah yeah and time just has a different meaning down there oh for sure it's yeah oh the dream space and here we are stuck in quarantine will we ever get back to the ocean looking out my window and watching it snow and i'm like ready to cry (laughs) yeah it's pretty gray here in london today uh you know how british people love to talk about the weather we really do um it is it is pretty gray today standard day in london yeah not the tropics that's for sure (laughs) so mads if people want to follow along with this journey of yours and with the women in ocean sciences how can they find that where can they find that and how do they join So for me personally, if you want to follow my little ocean adventures, my Instagram handle is at mads underscore ocean. You can also find me on YouTube because I just started a YouTube channel. Finally got some time to sort through some content. Um, And if you are interested in following Women in Ocean Science or joining our amazing community of epic female scientists from around the world, even if you're not a marine scientist and you just want to follow along for some inspiration or your daily dose of ocean, you can find us um, on Instagram as at Women in Ocean Science, um, or you can just type in Women in Ocean Science to Facebook to find our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Um, And if you want to read the blog, it's womeninoceanscience.com. All great sites and social medias to check out, and I highly recommend joining them. They are just the most uplifting and heartwarming and like learning. Like it's just a great community to be a part of. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear you say that. That that makes me so happy. Well, thank you again for joining me today, Mads. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much. It's been so fun, and I really hope you'll come and join me on a podcast sometime so we can talk about you as well. I absolutely would love that. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. You can check out Mads on all her social media, which will be listed in the description and also tagged on all of our social media. You can find the Water Women podcast on all social media platforms, including Instagram at the Water Women podcast, Facebook at the Water Women podcast, and Twitter at the Water Women pod. You can also check out our website or send us an email at waterwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We encourage you guys to reach out to us if you or someone you know is a waterwoman that's interested in being on the podcast. And until next time, stay salty. Stay salty.